the skills of, of being mayor, can that transfer to a presidential candidacy or is that just too far of a, of a leap? Stay tuned. That's just part of what's ahead in our bonus content following this week's edition of In Focus. Exploring the issues that matter most in Indiana. This is In Focus with Dan Spieler. Victory is not winning for our party. Victory is winning for our country. Walls or or barriers or structures, whatever you want to call them, do indeed work when properly and intelligently placed. And I hope that's part of, of the final package. Indiana Senator Todd Young appearing on Fox News this past week after the president's State of the Union address. Good morning. I'm Dan Spieler. Lawmakers closing in on a potential compromise to try and prevent another government shutdown. This is many in Washington gear up for 2020. This morning, more of our exclusive interview with DNC Chair Tom Perez. That's straight ahead. But first, Indiana lawmakers react to the State of the Union. Matt Smith has more. Yeah, good morning, Dan. So with just five days to go to the next deadline to avert a potential government shutdown this morning, Indiana lawmakers from both sides of the aisle weighing in on this talk of a border wall, still reacting to the president's comments from his State of the Union. Simply put, walls work and walls save lives. I think it is up to the president to articulate it in a way that gets more people on board. And an idea I had and shared it with our conference was maybe we ought to let the pros on the border that he's had down there and consulted with several times kind of tell what needs to be done and maybe give them flexibility to spend the money where they see most fit, including for a barrier. Some of the things that he said about uh, the investigations he's under, what was your reaction to that? You know, it's like we, 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 we watched and heard two separate State of the Union speeches. I think on one end, he was trying to appeal to the American people, specifically his, his base of supporters. I think secondly, he was talking directly to Congress, uh, almost in a sense of, of a very light threat of saying, hey, stop the investigation and we could get real work done. There was a lot of focus on issues, um, on our border security issues. And, but I think that there can be uh, a solution found between the parties. And that's what I think the, that part of the message was all about. Come on, let's come together. Let's solve this really important problem for the American people. I thought the speech did focus a lot on solutions and how can we come together and continue to advance the country forward rather than get mired in a lot of fights and a lot of resistance. All right, Matt and I are joined now by a pretty big name in national politics, DNC Chairman Tom Perez with us today. Thank you so much oh, for being with us. it's great to be with both of you. Great to be here in the great state of Indiana. Well, I know you're here talking uh, with some Hoosiers, mm-hmm. talking with uh, State Chairman John Zodi. You also, uh, this week, were at the State of the Union address. Uh, want to get your reaction on that, especially as we move toward this election year. What, what did you think of the president's message? Well, I was hoping to hear a message of unity, but we didn't. We heard the same appeal to uh, the far-right base. And frankly, what was notable about it is what we didn't hear. We didn't hear any apology to federal employees. I mean, million workers and then contractors. You know, we've got, what, 5,000 federal workers thereabouts here in Indiana. We've got all sorts of contractors here whose lives were turned upside down because this was a manufactured crisis. I was a federal worker. I, I had uh, I started in 
the administration of George Herbert Walker Bush. I'm proud of that service and to disrespect federal workers. It would have been nice to say thank you to those federal workers. We heard nothing about climate change. Uh, and you see the weather uh, swings uh, just you know here in this area recently. We heard nothing about uh, what, what are you going to do uh, to make sure that people with pre-existing conditions can keep their health care coverage. There was one sentence about pre-existing conditions, and there was probably 25 minutes about the border. Um, that's unfortunate. The, the, the State of the Union is supposed to be an opportunity to uh, articulate our common values. I, I heard him refer to the term economic miracle. Uh, you know, if, if you're a, a worker at the GM plant, uh, there's no economic miracle. If, you, if you've got a, a raise of $1 and your cost of living went up $2, um, that's no economic miracle. And so uh, we have a lot more work to do. And the Democrats, and, and um, especially Stacey Abrams, uh, she had a vision of inclusion and hope. And, and our leaders are supposed to unite us. Uh, our leaders are supposed to bring us together. Our North Star should be shared prosperity. And that's what she did. And unfortunately, um, this president didn't do that. And the workers at the carrier plant certainly aren't experiencing any economic miracles. It's one thing to watch the president and watch the State of the Union. Bring me there. What was the atmosphere like? What was the reaction of Speaker Pelosi? Well, it's, uh, respectful. Uh, 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 Speaker Pelosi has uh, tremendous respect for the institution. Yep of the president. And you saw that in Democrats as well. I mean, you remember when Barack Obama uh, gave one of his State of the Union addresses and there was a Republican from South Carolina who tried to shout him down? Um, that's disrespectful. In fact, you saw um, her a few times even uh, telling members, perhaps. Hold on. Well, the, and members accorded this president, um, I think, the tremendous respect that the institution of the president uh, deserves. Uh, I had the privilege of serving as our nation's labor secretary um, in the second term of Obama. So uh, going to the State of the Union was always um, an important event, an exciting event, uh, bringing together Republicans and Democrats alike. Uh, when he mentioned the, the fact that there are so many women in the workplace, uh, that was a fun yeah. moment because, frankly, uh, thanks to Democrats, we have a lot more women in the United States House of Representatives. There are a lot of candidates in the field already for president in 2020, as you know uh, yes, we very do. well, including South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg mm -hmm. from Indiana, who you actually ran sure. against uh, for DNC sure. chair. Um, what do you make of this process so far? How many candidates are we going to see in the race ultimately? And could this be a contentious Democratic primary? I fully expect a double-digit field of candidates. I welcome that. I think that's a great challenge to have. It's a deep field. I've had the privilege of uh, working closely with the vast majority. And what I think all the Democrats have in common is they understand that uh, we have to win in November of 2020. Uh, and, and the unit, we have... Um, so much agreement on so many issues. We believe that health care is a right for all and not a privilege for a few. We're going to have a debate about how to get from 90% coverage to 100, but we have a fundamental agreement that if you have a pre-existing condition, you should be able to keep your insurance. And our goal at the DNC is very simple. Uh, we want to make sure the process is fair for everyone involved. If there's 15 people in the race, uh, 14 aren't going to make it to the mountaintop. And what we have to make sure is that Everybody feels like their candidate got a fair shake. Has the process been uh, unfair in, in the past that, that you're looking to write in any aspects? Oh, absolutely. The sense that um, there's, there's a, a perception out there, and whether it's real or perceived, 
there was a very strong sense in 2016 uh, that the process was, was not fair. Yeah. And, um, and I understand that. And so we engaged in a, a reform process at the DNC. And last summer, we, we passed uh, a widespread array of important reforms, including uh, limiting the power of superdelegates right. uh, so that the grassroots will decide our nominee. We reformed the primary and the caucus process so that we are actually going to have more primaries and less caucuses, which means more people will vote. Mm -hmm. That is a good thing. And those states that retain their caucus have to take steps to ensure that they are inclusive. So if you're a service member, for instance, serving overseas in a and you're from a caucus state, you have to be able to exercise the franchise. And so we're making those uh, reforms because, again, I want to make sure that we earn the trust of voters. Well, and in terms of debates, there's also talk about two nights of debates, perhaps a random drawing determining who's on which debate stage. And again, back to, to Mayor Buttigieg, you were on a debate mm -hmm. stage with him. Sure. And so from that perspective, uh, what can you tell us about uh, some of his strengths, uh, perhaps some of his weaknesses, but his, uh, his role as a candidate on a sure. debate stage? Well, I have great respect for Mayor Pete. Got to know him during the, the, the campaign for DNC chair. And uh, he has, he's whip smart. Uh, he has uh, great values. And I think he has uh, great respect in his community of South Bend. And, and what we're doing in the debate context uh, is making sure, again, that everybody has that opportunity to share their vision. And, and what we're doing differently this year, and I think it's really important, we announced before we knew who the field was, we announced we're going to have 12 debates. The first debate's going to be in June. The second debate's going to be in July. And for those first two debates, let's assume we have uh, 14 people in the race that That's meet the low. threshold. <laughs> and, yeah, well, it could be. And, and one of the things we're doing is the threshold is not simply going to be a polling threshold because 16 months out of an uh, election or 12 months out of an election, polling tends to measure name ID as opposed to depth and breadth of support. What are the so other polling factors? will be one way to get yeah. on the debate stage, but also, and we will be soon announcing, um, an, another way to get on, which is your grassroots fundraising capacity. Because if you're able to go out there in multiple states and raise grassroots dollars, that requires organization. That requires getting your name out there. And so we want to make sure that they have uh, two pathways to the debate stage. And let's assume we have, again, 14 people who are eligible under these new thresholds. Uh, what we will do for the first two debates is quite literally draw lots. So it will be a random drawing. We'll have uh, night one will be the first seven or however many. Uh, night two will be the, the second. And I'm, my co I'm confident um, that uh, we're going to build a structure here that's going to maximize the number of people who will watch it. That's what it's about. Let's talk about Howard Schultz, shall we? Mm -hmm. uh, he's going to be at Purdue on Thursday giving a policy speech here in Indiana. Uh, your thoughts on, on him running as an independent, potentially, and have you had conversations with him yet to try to run as a Democrat? Well, I, I have great respect for Howard Schultz. If he wants to run as a Democrat, we will welcome him and we will treat him fairly like we will treat everyone. If he chooses to run as an independent, uh, he will certainly lose. And he has said that he is only going to run as an independent if there is a pathway to victory. There's no pathway to victory for him running as an independent. If he runs as an independent, a vote for Howard Schultz is a vote for Donald Trump. Go call Ross Perot. Go call uh, Jill Stein. Call the other folks 
who have tried to run as third-party candidates. Have you talked to them yet about this? I've spoken with the CEO of Starbucks, and he's retired from Starbucks, and we had a good conversation, and I reiterated everything I've just said to you. Uh, and I, my, my, uh, my door is always open to anybody thinking about running do Democrats, uh, as a Democrat. Do Democrats <laughs> lose if he runs as an independent? Well, again, I think a vote for Howard Schultz as an independent is a vote for uh, Donald Trump. I think that's very clear. You look at the positions he, he espouses. He talks about his support for the Affordable Care Act. He talks about support for um, raising the minimum wage. Uh, those are issues that Republicans oppose and Democrats support. So uh, if he runs as an independent, uh, he, he's going to be a spoiler. That, that will be his role. And he'll have to ask the question, uh, do I want to potentially help facilitate the reelection of Donald Trump? Another name you hear about a lot when it comes to people toying with an independent run is John Kasich. He came here to Indiana this past week. And on the topic of politics now, he said he felt Democrats were moving further to the left when it comes to some issues such as Medicare for all, taxes for the wealthy. How do you navigate that divide this coming year when you do have a lot of energy on what you might call the progressive wing of the party? Well, I think we have a lot of energy in the party writ large. Everybody is so excited, and we, we saw that reflected in turnout. Is the party moving um, to the this, left? I think the party is moving to the north star of making sure that everybody has a fair shake. That's where the party has always been. And the reason why you see so much angst in this country is because what we've seen embodied in the last two years is a nation in which the very wealthy are getting even wealthier at the expense of everybody else. That ain't fair. And our North Star as Democrats is how do we help improve people's lives on a daily basis? It starts with making sure you have access to health care. It continues with making sure that if you have a, a job, you can feed your family. He talked about job creation last night in the State of the Union, but he did not talk about economic security. Too many people are working two and three jobs. If you're working a full-time job, you ought to be able to feed your family. Joe Donnelly talked tirelessly about health care in the midterm elections. He lost the president and won Indiana by 20 points in 2016. How does this message you're talking about resonate in a red state like Indiana? Well, talk to the workers at Carrier. Uh, Donald Trump promised that I'm going to keep your jobs. Talk to the workers uh, you know, the GM plant and, and uh, the workers at the Harley plant in Missouri. So here in Indiana and elsewhere, uh, places where uh, Donald Trump's message uh, resonated in 2016, they voted for him because he promised change. But they thought it would be change that would make their lives better. And when you lose your health care coverage, one sentence in the State of the Union, literally one sentence and only one sentence about pre-existing conditions, that tells me that he really isn't going to be fighting for it. And we know that through their actions because they filed a lawsuit in the state of Texas to undo the Affordable Care Act's protection for people with pre-existing conditions. So I think the way we succeed here and in places like Missouri and elsewhere, every zip code is we've got to organize everywhere. We've got to make sure we are fielding good candidates everywhere, and we have to make sure that we're communicating our values, what we are fighting for. How are we making your life better? And when you have health care, we're making your life better. When you have a better wage for your work, we're making life better. 
Indiana specific, will, will the message and the efforts in 2020 be different than 2018 for Democrats here in Indiana? Oh, we're going to continue to invest in Indiana. I mean, we obviously, uh, the most immediate thing is uh, the upcoming mayor's race here in, in Indianapolis. Uh, the mission of the DNC is to help elect Democrats up and down the ticket from the school board to the Oval Office. I'm proud of our investments in governor's races. I'm proud of our investments in mayor's races. Uh, state legislative races over the first two years. Um, it's been an honor to work with the state party chair here, John Zodi, who is tremendous. And working together, we're going to continue to build that infrastructure. You have to take a long-term view. Uh, I don't measure success simply by one election. When we invest in that infrastructure, when we understand that all politics is personal, when we build those relationships, and when people see that we are fighting for the issues that are keeping them up at night. Health care, good local schools that can help you and your, your youngster get that pathway to upward mobility. That's how we're winning elections. That's why we have members of Congress from Oklahoma now, from Kansas. We have a Democratic governor in Kansas. We can win in every zip code if we do what we've outlined. And I know we're almost out of time, but in Indiana, obviously that hasn't been the case lately. The president winning here by 20, Senator Donnelly losing in, in this past year's election. To make the sports analogy, are Indiana Democrats in a bit of a rebuilding mode? And, and how do you move them forward here into the next well, let's keep the sports cycles. analogy going because I still coach basketball. <laughs> there 12, you go. Twelfth year in a row. Very popular here in At Indiana. least one of my kids in basketball. And, and you know what? When you, when you um, have results that aren't uh, what you uh, hope for, the first thing you do is you go and you watch the game film. And you learn from the game film. What, did uh, you learn? what, what went wrong, what went right. And what we have to continue to do, we have to be in every zip code party. Okay. Uh, we have to up our game in rural America, including rural Indiana. We have to make sure we communicate our values every single day so that people understand what we are fighting for. We need to make sure that democracy is accessible to everyone. Indiana, regrettably, was one of the key authors of a voter suppression bill that makes it harder for a lot of eligible people to vote. So we've got to make sure that we're building not only that organizing infrastructure everywhere, but leading with our values and making sure that every eligible person gets out there and votes. And I'm confident that we can uh, make real progress here because we've been watching a lot of game film. And uh, we watched game film in 2016 and we made progress in 2018. And we're going to keep fighting here because I believe we can win here. Real quick before you go, we've got to get you on the news of the day coming out of Virginia. We've seen a lot of developments this afternoon in terms of the attorney general coming out saying he has now been in a picture showing mm -hmm. blackface. New accusations, the accusations, I guess, from the lieutenant governor. The governor still facing a lot of calls for his resignation. Yeah. From your position today, where do you stand and have you been talking with Democrats in Virginia? Yes, I have been talking to Democrats in, in Virginia because all of these allegations are very serious. Uh, allegations, anytime um, a woman comes forward with an allegation of uh, uh, sexual misconduct, we take those seriously. And uh, she must always be treated with respect. And, and the person accused must always be treated with the appropriate due process. And that's what I'm confident is going to happen in Virginia. Uh, the, the revelations involving the governor and the attorney general um, are antithetical to what we stand for in the Democratic Party. I, I have um, uh, continued to have conversations with people inside Virginia 
leaders there because uh, I think it's really important when situations of this nature arise to make sure I'm having conversations with people who are truly in the front lines. Uh, for instance, uh, the Black Caucus of Virginia uh, has been meeting with, um, with uh, the Attorney General today. And I haven't had the opportunity because I've been going from meeting to meeting uh, to get a readout of those meetings to see uh, what is their sense of, of the um, appropriate course of action. Um, I was heartened by Attorney General Herring's acknowledgement, uh, affirmative acknowledgement of, of, of what he had done in the past and why it was wrong and his coming forward uh, to, um, to apologize and atone. And uh, I'm looking forward to hearing uh, the reaction of uh, the Black Caucus in Virginia. But these things have no place um, in the Democratic Party, and, um, and that's why we take them so seriously. Should there be resignations? Well, again, I, I uh, already called for Governor Northam's resignation, and the other, the other issues are, are very recently breaking. And so I'm a, I'm a big believer in uh, trying to do my best and do my due diligence before... Uh, making judgments of that nature. And that's why I, I spoke to Governor Northam last week. I haven't spoken uh, since I've learned of these other allegations with uh, either the Lieutenant Governor or the Attorney General. All right. A lot going on in the news. We appreciate it. Chairman Tom Perez, thank you so much for Always being with Always good to be with you. We appreciate it. Take care. Thank you so thank much. You. We also reached out to the RNC this week, hoping to catch up with the RNC chair next time she is here in Indiana. All right, coming up, the harsh words Perez had for potential independent candidate Howard Schultz and how Schultz responded when he came here to Indiana this week. And we go one-on-one -on -one with the Republican state superintendent why she says she's had enough of politics. Welcome back. Former Starbucks CEO Howard Schultz was here in Indiana this past week as he considers a possible run for president. Trevor Shirley has more. Howard Schultz has been considering an independent run for the White House. And while he didn't go so far as to officially declare himself a candidate here at Purdue, he certainly didn't rule it out either. I am considering a run because members of both parties are not yet doing the job they were elected to do. In his first major speech since announcing that he's exploring an independent run for the White House, the billionaire former Starbucks CEO laid out his case for why America has to move beyond a two-party system. Almost two-thirds of American voters agree that a two-party system, our two-party system, is broken. Democrats are already unhappy. DNC Chairman Tom Perez telling our In Focus team this. And I think a vote for Howard Schultz as an independent is a vote for uh, Donald Trump. I think that's very clear. After his Purdue event, Schultz responded directly to Perez's criticism. So I think it's a false narrative. Many more Republicans, I think, are going to be looking for a home, lifelong Republicans, <laughs> if they have a different choice. But as Schultz made clear today, what's most on his mind is the man currently sitting in the Oval Office. And as I explore whether to run for office, I'll do so with the conviction that my final decision must not make his reelection a possibility. Schultz says he's not sure when he'll actually make up his mind as to whether or not he's officially running as an independent for the White House. He says he plans to continue talking with voters around the country. Also no word yet on when he may make another visit back to Indiana. Reporting at Purdue University, I'm Trevor Shirley. Now back to you. Meantime, South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg spending some time in Iowa this weekend as he mulls a run for president. Later today, he'll hold a book signing event in South Bend. 
Our Trevor Shirley is headed there as well. He'll have more coming up on the news tonight and on next week's edition of In Focus. Right now, let's bring in our panel, former GOP lawmaker Mike Murphy, Democratic strategist Robin Winston, both with us today. What do you guys make of this 2020 election cycle as things get started here and all the candidates who may be considering a run for president? It's going to be good for Visit Indy. I mean, you're going to have a lot of people coming in town and getting hotel rooms. Uh, uh, this week, the Urban League announced their conference is coming here. That's right. So I think that'll be a benchmark. That'll be a real important benchmark, I think, this cycle for lots of reasons as to whether people come here. But I believe we're going to be on the map in a big way. Howard Schultz, let's talk about his trip to Purdue. Uh, you think he's trying to also get Mitch Daniels' support with a trip like oh, that? Talk sure, he'd love to. I mean, Mitch is, Mitch is uh, famous for bringing in a lot of diverse sure. political uh, people. I've seen him bring in New Ginrich and others Yeah, as you can't well. read too much into that. Yeah, you can't think, read too but. much. He, he kind of considers Purdue to be an open forum, which is a good thing. I think this, this and by the way, Mitch is not a fan of, of Donald Trump. She has said over and over again, I feel homeless in my own party. So he may be encouraging some thought that way. Obviously, I can't get into his head. But I think all this attention is a little bit early. CNN's already had a Kamala Harris uh, uh, town hall meeting. They're doing meeting. a town hall with they're, Schultz. They're doing a yeah. Schultz maybe Monday or Sunday? I think so. Monday yeah. maybe, yeah. tomorrow? Yeah. Um, I think it's a little bit early, and what, what some of these networks tend to do, not this one, but CNN traditionally, they build people up so they can tear them down. And I think you see that with both Kamala Harris and with, with Schultz as well. Pete Buttigieg has had a lot of national attention in recent weeks as well. It's been great. I mean, you know, he's doing his book signing. That I mean, there'll be a tour. He's going to go to Iowa, which he's been to before. Remember, he went out to substitute out there before. Um, Pete's going to be a viable candidate. Keep your eye on him. All right, let's talk about the State of the Union uh, this past week. This poll here from CBS News shows 76 percent of those who watched the president's address approved of the speech he gave. Do you chalk that up to the TV audience uh, for his speech being mostly conservative, or do you think it went over that well generally? Well, there are, there are people who did not watch because they don't like Trump. I frankly did not watch because I knew I could watch it later online, right? And I was busy that night. I'll watch it later online. So I would not be counted among that TV audience. I think his speech was the best he's done so far. I think it was statesmanlike. I think it was an attempt to be a unifier, even though a lot of people would not agree with that. And I think he hit on many of the things I thought he should hit, which is primarily the performance of the economy. Robin, your thoughts? Two speeches by the same guy. I mean, one speech was, let's bring our, our nation together, let's team together, and then we depart and have to throw in the investigation remark, which I didn't think was necessary. I mean, you know, you, you had everybody leaning in saying, is this the Donald Trump we're used to? And then he throws that in. We'll see what the tweets do over the next few days. All right, what about this uh, mess in, in Virginia this week? We, we did ask the DNC chair about that. You can see that on our website. Uh, what do you make of the reaction here in the world of politics? Well, first of all, it's now bipartisan. On Friday, the, I think it's the state Senate majority leader uh, admitted that he had, um, and they had pictures the of him of in blackface. Oh, yeah, yeah right. and he was also the editor of the yearbook. Right. And so it's, it's, it's a bipartisan mess, quite frankly. Um, I think that the, the outrage is, is justified. I still don't understand why everybody thought that was fun or cool to do in the first place. But. You know, 400 years ago, we came, African Americans came to Virginia. I mean, this, 400 years ago, on, in, in 1619. So now we're talking about what happens now, okay, in a state that, that had a long and storied history on race. Um, you go to Robert E. Lee statues on the floor of their General Assembly. I mean, so when Doug Wider talked to me a long time ago, he said he gave his speech looking at Robert E. Lee. Okay. They've had a long history. I don't understand the infatuation with blackface. I don't know why they're doing it. 
If you've got a silver glove on and you've got on white socks and you're playing Beat It or Thriller, I'm thinking you're trying to impersonate Michael Jackson. All right, we'll see what happens there. Uh, certainly a lot of history to confront, as you said. Meantime, here in Indiana this week, more news on Attorney General Curtis Hill still refusing to step down after groping allegations. He was suddenly disinvited this week from a scheduled meeting with the Black Legislative Caucus, according to our partners at the Indy Star. Meantime this week, Speaker Brian Bosma cleared on a campaign finance complaint as the legislative session continues. Lawmakers busy putting together a two-year budget plan for the state. Next week will be a busy week, a lot on the calendar. Our agenda bills are moving, have moved through the House now in their entirety with the exception of the budget, uh, which we'll start talking about publicly next week. We'll keep you posted on that in the days to come. Meantime, another state lawmaker made it official this past week. State Senator Jim Merritt filing paperwork to run for mayor of Indianapolis. He has the backing of party leaders who chose him at last weekend's slating convention, though he still has potential opposition in the May primary. This week, our Bob Donaldson spoke with Mayor Joe Hogsett about the race for mayor. So you've announced your reelection. Why do you want to do this job again? Many of the things that we've begun in this first four years I would like the opportunity, if the people of Indianapolis want to give it to me, I'd like the opportunity to continue working on those things. You can see more of that interview on next week's edition of In Focus. We'll also talk much more about some of these issues on our podcast. Well, coming up next, we sit down one-on-one -on -one with the state superintendent who says she's had it with politics. Our one-on-one -on -one with Dr. Jennifer McCormick up next. The state superintendent of education has made headlines in recent months announcing she won't run for re-election. Our Matt Smith sat down with her one-on-one -on -one to find out why. Matt? Jennifer McCormick says enough with politics. The job is not what she signed up for. Despite that, though, she is pushing ahead in her final two years. And we saw that firsthand when she toured an Indianapolis high school preparing kids for the future. Jennifer McCormick is in her element, outside the walls of the Indiana State House. Rewrite it, rewrite it! So she can read it. And inside a classroom at Crispus Attucks High School in Indianapolis. They're in it to win it. The tour was fast-paced. I'm like, I can so fit in there. I'd be like, right? Much like McCormick's style as state superintendent. I was like, you got a print? <laughs> who recently announced she won't seek a second term as the state's top educator preferring to focus on classroom performance and less on the politics that come with the job. I came into it almost naive, thinking we're going to look at data, we're going to look at, we're going to listen to practitioners, we're going to work with partners, and what I quickly learned is, um, you know, follow the money. McCormick will likely be Indiana's last elected state superintendent. Lawmakers are now poised to let the governor appoint the position when McCormick's term ends in 2020. So you got a quite a load for a sophomore, don't you? And it's the politics she blames for her exit. It's follow the money on steroids. And so I've what do you mean learned, by that? I've learned it the hard way, you know, where, where I truly, I approached it as we're all going to sit down, we're all going to lay it out, we're not always going to agree, but we're going to look at the good, the bad, and the ugly. We're going to listen to people and we'll figure it out. And sometimes the sensible becomes irrelevant because there are just a lot of special interest groups that have a lot of campaign dollars and they get a lot of attention. How about teaching? Are you getting very many of them to that? In her two years, McCormick has worked to make allies with educators, with a focus on kids and classrooms, highlighting tours like today's, 
her first tour to an IPS school since being state superintendent. Sometimes, you know, there's a stigma associated with various districts and with various schools, and so the more we can get people in our schools and actually interacting with our students, interacting with our staff, then we're more than happy to do that. A Republican, McCormick has also ticked off a few people with her oftentimes blunt assessments. Do you want to go on to college then, I'm assuming? Mm -hmm. Do you know where? Um, you have some choices? And pointed questions. So how often do you girls tutor? Like every day? That aren't always in line with party politics or political leaders. It becomes very polarizing. I'm, I don't care if you're Republican, Democrat, or Independent. If you have a good idea and you want to help kids, you know, kids don't have a political affiliation tied to them when they're sitting in a second grade classroom. McCormick says she'll spend her final two years working on a number of issues including school safety. New security, talk to me about that. A concern brought to her by students on the tour. The cameras don't always capture everything. You're right, you're right. This was clearly a small focus group of students, but I think two of them brought up school safety. They did. It was interesting. When I chatted with them, they talked about their community safety and school safety, and I thought it was very interesting. You know, they, they had um, the challenge to say, what would you change in the world? And, and many of them were coming right back to safety. Well, there's always teaching. Keep that in the back of your mind. McCormick's political future remains unknown. In the interim, lawmakers, teachers, and students can expect an honest assessment on what she sees as the state of education in Indiana. Well, we're proud of you. Keep up the good work. Thank What's your you. name? Dr. McCormick. Dr. McCormick. Yeah, nice to meet you. Yeah, nice to meet you. All right, stick around. We're back with this week's Winners and Losers after this. All right, time for this week's Winners and Losers. Mike, I'll start with you. Actually, just one winner. President Trump, for what I think was probably the best speech of his two-year tenure so far, a reach out to uh, unity and talk about the great economy. Robin. Well, I'll stay on the winner's theme, the women in the Congress. I mean, whenever they, they're all dressed in white, the president talked about he'd done more to increase opportunities for women. Clearly he did. He put a lot of them into the new Congress. Guys, thank you so much, and thanks for joining us. We'll see you again next Sunday in Focus. All right, back with Robin Winston and Mike Murphy. A smaller group this week because we had a lot of interviews, uh, certainly, to get to on the program. Uh, but we did want to talk some more about some of the local issues we mentioned. Uh, Curtis Hill and the Black Legislative Caucus. They were supposed to meet next week. Something happened. The, the caucus uh, disinviting him now as that controversy continues. And you had Speaker Bosma cleared uh, on an election uh, complaint dealing with some of the, the situations that have been in the news with Speaker Bosma. Uh, what do you make of some of these controversies uh, still percolating at the State House? Well, I mean, he got invited and then disinvited, right? So, um, but this was a unique meeting. They were going to invite staff. It wasn't just members and of, interns. And interns. Mm. So I don't know what the theme of the meeting would have been, but I guess it got too hot and heavy and people backed out. There's some back, there's some back uh, story there. Um, Mara Candelaria, who is one of the victims of right. Curtis Hill, alleged victims, um, she ran against John Bartlett, an African-American of the Black Caucus, for caucus chairman, and she defeated him. She got thrown out of the Black Caucus, and this may be a little bit back in your face, Mara, we're bringing Curtis Hill in. Then when uh, Representative Shackelford found out about it, was actually told by some members of the media, she kind of expressed surprise that they, this, uh, the mix had been made, and she disinvited him, I think, appropriately. So a little bit of black caucus politics going on there that spilled out into the public. You know, we're a one-party state at this point in the General Assembly and in, and in the governor's office. Super majorities. But watch. Yep. The attorney general's at odds with the governor. 
And you ran a story about the superintendent of public instruction leaving. She announced like an hour and a half after being inaugurated, she was leaving. So, you know, there's clearly a problem within their hierarchy. It's not unanimity of purpose there. And I think the Curtis Hill thing is really going to continue to plague them. What about at the uh, local level? We talked about the race for mayor. Um, Jim Merritt running for mayor. He officially filed the paperwork, now has the backing of party leaders. Not a surprise. He was the county chair. Now at, at Slating, he's been chosen as, as, the, Republicans, uh, at the, as the Republican Party's backed candidate, uh, moving toward a potential primary. But uh, what do you make of this year's uh, race for mayor with a, a pretty significant name in state house politics running against Mayor Hawks? Well, first of all, Jim's a great guy. He's a good person. He's ethical. He's honorable. He's been a great legislator for 25 years or so. Uh, my concern is the money. If he um, was thinking about this for the last couple of years, he could have been raising money um, either through his uh, legislative uh, uh, account or through an exploratory committee. Now he's at a deep, deep disadvantage to Mayor Hogsett. Now, at the same time, in 2007, uh, Ballard was in the same position against Ballard and ended up, ended up or, uh, against Peterson, Peterson and ended yeah. up winning. So I don't count Merritt out. He's just... He's created a tough hill to climb for himself. Is Mayor Hogsett concerned, do you think, about the, about the merit candidacy? He what better he be. To this race? Yeah. Now, no matter when I say that, I get a, a text, okay? So he, so he better be, okay? So I'm going to make it clear. He better be. Um, anytime you're dealing with potholes and crime and a city and the management and the number of people that call the mayor's action line on complaints, anybody could walk away and continue to be upset. Um, I'm sure that he's going to address it. He's addressing these systemic issues in a big way, but you can't underestimate that. We, I was fortunate. I was state chairman when Bart won in 99. I was not there, obviously, when he lost, but I can tell you this is a very complex county. Mike knows his area down in the southern, uh, southern part of the, of the county. This is a complex county. Don't take anything for granted. You never know. Um, you, certainly the politics of potholes, uh, and, and Mayor Hogsett mentioned that in his interview with Bob Donaldson this week. Um, Potholes are an issue that, that certainly affect people on a real-life, everyday basis. Exactly. You even had uh, Mayor Pete Buttigieg in South Bend, who's now possibly running for president, talk about this that this past week. He put out a video uh, showing him filling some uh, potholes. It, let's talk about Mayor Pete Buttigieg, because uh, Sunday he's got a book tour. Uh, he's going to be uh, interviewed by the media up there. We hope to have more of that on next week's program. Do the skills of, of being mayor, can that transfer to a presidential candidacy, or is that just too far of a, of a leap? It's a big leap, but there's some of the basic skills, right? The ability to administer, ability to delegate, Executive experience. ability to recognize larger issues and to address those issues, an ability to dream big and to get people to come along with you. All those things transfer. But uh, it is a big leap only because, primarily because, uh, Mayor Buttigieg has not been tested against some of the big issues and with some of the big constituencies he's going to have to deal with. Is he capable to do that? Sure. I don't, I don't doubt that at all. He's the best mayor South Bend's had in 60 years, frankly, um, and, which isn't saying a whole lot, but he is the best. Um, so he can make it. It's just a matter of who he brings along with him. And the biggest mistake most of these guys make, and some ladies too, is they keep their circle too tight and they're try to, they try to do it with people from their home state. He's got to get his network spread out very quickly out. to do that. We were talking earlier about the Howard Schultz candidacy and how he's now brought on some former Obama staffers. Right, he has. He's brought some very high-powered people that do it. I've been to Iowa, okay? So when you're out there and you've got to go from Dubuque to Des Moines and then Ames and then Iowa City, you have to have an organization. 
And that's what, I'm glad you said that, because you cannot be just my usual gang of suspects. Yeah. You've got to be expansive. There are people that want to be involved in 2020. If Pete gets out there and gets on the ground early and enlists people and diverse groups, then he can be a very powerful force. Because remember, it's a caucus right. for us. It's a caucus. And I did the caucus. <laughs> 3,000 people showed up at our gym for Barack Obama, right? And a dog, a cat, and a bird showed up for everybody else. It, it, it's all about organization. It's a, that's, it's that's a fun it. process. The good thing is for and you've Bush, been out there as well. Well, yeah. I, uh, in out 2012, Bush, I was, uh, I was in 16. 16 for, right? I was a surrogate speaker for Bush in 2012. I was a surrogate speaker for uh, for Perry, and it's so much like Indiana that I think Buttigieg will feel very comfortable right away. It's a mix of rural and mid-sized cities. Demographics are very similar. Household income is very similar to the Indiana uh, uh, demographics. Um, and you have people who are, you know, it's a small enough state that you, you, they demand one-on-one attention during the caucus process. And you walk into a high school gym to speak on behalf of uh, Jeb Bush, and a lot of these people had actually met Jeb Bush. So I was just a, just, you know, I was nothing. I was just a, a quick cover, right? <laughs> You're the right? sideshow there, right? <laughs> I was the sideshow, yeah. yeah. Right. Um, and, and they had great questions. And, uh, you know, in my case, uh, we got beaten pretty badly because they were pretty much for Trump. If you do the matchups, I don't know who matches up with Pete. I mean, you know, Sherrod Brown, Joe Biden kind of cancel each other out. Warren, Kamala Harris, Bernie, and whoever who There's else. There's been talk be there. of other mayors. Mayor Garcetti decided not to right. run. He you decided had, not uh, to Landrew run. Landrew has discussed it as well. Right, right. Obviously, those are mayors of, of cities of much different sizes. But Pete's too. been out there early. Yes, I mean, yeah. the one thing, you know, they didn't give enough credit to Obama. He got out there early. Of course, he was, you know, near there, obviously. Right. But he got out there early and got on the ground. Very, very early. I think one of the biggest problems the Democrats have is you could have, God knows how many, you could have 20 people running by the time it's all over, right? And I think there's a possibility, there's a chance that they are so splintered that who is it that will, you can't just do all identity politics. Some people would call it tribal politics, right? You have to have somebody who transcends all those little tribal loyalties and I don't know that that person is emerged yet, or even even in the race, or identified yet. I don't know. Same dynamics, perhaps, as the 2016 oh, Republican exactly. primary when you had 16 candidates. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Donald you had Trump the adult stable, and you had yeah. the kids stable. Uh, but <laughs> we we spoke with Chairman Perez this week about how he's hoping to do things differently. He talked about the perception that 2016 wasn't fair, perhaps to. Uh, candidates not named Hillary Clinton, and the notion that they want to do everything on the up and up in terms of treating all the candidates fairly, Uh, in terms of debates, no kids' table, they're going to have two straight nights, random drawing in terms of who is on which night. Uh, What do you make of the process so far? I think that's great. I think that's very good. Remember, we got rid of superdelegates. So what saved Hillary Clinton a lot was I've got the mayor, the governor, both members of Congress, both U.S. senators already locked in. You won't have that this time. So those delegates will be competitive based upon how you do in your state. I think that, once again, we're going to have a large field. There'll be a lot. I don't think we have a kiddie table, but I think we might have two different debates. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because How of many the candidates? When it's all said and done, I think probably 15. If that's, that's what Chairman Perez guessed, 14, 14 or 15? About 15. Seems, sounds but, low. But then it where comes, we are right now. But then right? it comes down to leadership in the party. And you know, uh, Robin's been a state chairman. I've been a county chairman. A, a lot of the role of a county or state chairman is to provide the leadership to actually have the guts to say to somebody, "You're <laughs> running and you're not." Yes. Mm-hmm. And that. But the problem is, party chairmen spend more time worrying about their own reelections than they do the good of the party. And that's that's, that's 
that's unfortunate. It's true. All right, final thoughts before we wrap it up about this past week in politics. I, I, the visual of the women standing there clapping in Congress was just great. I mean, I, he kind of did an alley-oop setup line for us because it's like record number of women working. And then they just turned and they, and they I don't think they caught it at first. Then they said, yeah, we're the ones now working. I think that was fantastic. Mike? I think it was a, a good week. Uh, not too many scandals other than the, the, the uh, escalating yeah, Virginia. But I, I think that Trump didn't make any big mistakes uh, this past week. And if, if that's the case, then he had a big week. Yeah. All right, guys, thank you so much. We'll thank see you. you again next Sunday in Focus.